0: All right, today we're gonna talk about a poignant topic that has to do with the anxieties of the day in our Between the Two Ears series. And that has to do with a journey from pessimism to optimism, a journey from pessimism to optimism. And Elaine and I, every week, are going to talk about what happens between our ears and, and and God's word really encouraging us to shape and even change the way we think, which can change the way we feel. This is a plastic brain we have, and, and it's a God-given gift that our brains are plastic. In other words, it can change. And and there are powerful scriptural tools to help us have our brains change. And what we're going to talk about today is, is in a little more optimistic direction. Now, uh, here is the the vision that God has for how we think and how we feel. And, and, and it's a powerful vision that Jesus himself shared in his darkest hour. In his darkest hour, facing arrest, facing torture, facing the cross, he says this to his disciples who were also very much afraid. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. As Jesus left this gift of peace of mind and peace of heart to his disciples in the middle of this intense persecution of Christ's followers. If he can give that to them, then he can give that to us now. And he says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. There are troubling and fearful things happening, and we can appropriately deal with those and think about those and feel what needs to be felt, but let's not let us let it overwhelm us into a dark and paralyzing place. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it is very difficult when, when there are, are, are threats and, and there are fears of what could come. Uh, let's enjoy this God-given gift of peace of mind and peace of heart. Now, as we talk about pessimism and and optimism, uh, Elaine and I had a a good dialogue about this. There's some pitfalls about this subject. There's some real landmines that we wanna walk carefully. And here are some of the landmines of pessimism and optimism. Number one is that pessimism, even though it sounds bad, I mean, we always talk about pessimism as a bad thing. It actually isn't all bad. Um, For example, it's rattlesnake season right now. I was on a golf course um, Friday, and there was a warning, slithery things in the weeds. Now my golf ball's never in the weeds, but for others, slithering things in the weeds, might be a rattlesnake, right? A pessimist would look at that slithery thing and say, probably a rattlesnake, I'm not going to grab it, right? On the other hand, you have the optimist. Optimism is almost always spoken about as a good thing. But even though it sounds great, it's not all that great. The optimist might say, oh, probably not a rattlesnake, probably a gopher snake, and, you know, that person might be a little less alive than he or she was before. So optimism isn't necessarily all great. The other reality is that there's some wonderful people, really wonderful people, Who are wired towards pessimism. They're they're fantastic, highly productive. They contribute in amazing ways. In fact, some of the greatest artists and philosophers and thinkers of our time and throughout history were bent more towards pessimism because they see and feel things very deeply and perhaps have more empathy than other people. And maybe they're more protective. All these are, are good things and they're wonderful people that are bent a little bit towards pessimism. Pessimism also can be confused with clinical depression. Uh, we all have some pessimistic times. Uh, we all maybe have parts of us that tend to lean towards the cautious or pessimistic. But s- for some people, they are paralyzed by that pessimism. If I just to read from a clinical journal, most of us feel sad, lonely, or depressed at times. It's a normal reaction to loss or stressful environments, uh, life struggles, or even injured self-esteem. But when these feelings become overwhelming and they cause physical symptoms and last for a long period of time that keep you from leading a normal life, an active life, that's when it's time to seek help. Seek therapeutic help, seek medical help. So, so there's a little bit of a difference between sort of the normal rhythms or bent of pessimism and people who are really suffering with clinical depression. And then the last landmine is that pessimists rarely know they're pessimists. Uh, this is a, a rule. Nobody that I've heard walks around life saying, yep, I'm a pessimist. I haven't heard that in my life. In fact, I keep a, a, uh, a list of the top 10 pessimists that I uh, am in relationship with. Actually, I don't, but just for fun. Uh, of this top 10 list of pessimists in my life, literally five of them have told me, you know what, I'm a generally positive person, but here's an avalanche of complaints and negativity. Even the most negative people think that they are positive people. It is the most remarkable thing. And so even in in preparation for this message, I went to about a dozen people who I I trust would be very open and honest with me. And I said, hey, listen, am I a pessimistic person? Am I a negative person? Permission to say anything you want to, because I want to know if I'm a negative person. And um, the general answer, and I'll just tell you right now, because why not? No, you're not negative, but... (laughs) you tend to be a little sarcastic, a little cynical, speaking hyperbole. like, yeah, I, I know that. Now get away from me. Um, so pessimists rarely know that they are pessimists. And so this sermon is really going to be for nobody because everybody thinks, oh, they're a pessimist, but I'm not. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, all of us maybe can become a little bit more positive at times. So that's the bent here today. Um, we, we don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Now Here's a Saturday Night Live character, and no matter what, Positive things are going on around. Debbie Downer steps in and says the negative thing, you know, wah, 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 brings the whole room down. Some people are Debbie Downers. Um, sorry if you name Debbie, I mean, that's just tough. Uh, but um, we wanna be free from that. And while there's a place for pessimism and a place for caution, a place to see the worst in things for sure, especially when we're in a mode of protecting each other, we don't wanna drag down relationships and drag down the room. So what about the Bible? Is the Bible pessimistic? Is the Bible optimistic? Well, some might say immediately the Bible's pessimistic. I was raised in an environment that talked about the end of the world all the time, and so the end is here, and it's all negative. And so some people can say the Bible's very pessimistic. Other people can say the Bible is very optimistic, that the Bible talks about a redemption and a hope in the future. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. You look at Revelation and all tribes, tongues, and nations standing around the throne in unanimity, totally united, the globe united around the things of the kingdom of heaven, what we call the cause of Christ. So you can see some optimistic things as well. But here's what I believe of the Bible. The general thrust of biblical teaching is neither optimistic nor pessimistic. But a wonderful blend of both. You'll find both in the Bible. Founded on realism. Realism. The Bible embraces the reality. And sometimes the reality is really, really tough. And the Bible, the Bible mentions those things very clearly, even with deep sort of groaning laments, right? And so the Bible's very realistic. But the biblical teaching never loses hope. Even in the worst times of the Bible, and by the way, the Bible was written the entire thing in horrible times. So the Bible is written in terrible circumstances always. Um, and even in the midst of all of that, there's hope for the future. So there's a realism there, just embracing the true, truly terrible things that are happening but never losing an optimistic hope. It's an embrace of the way things really are with hope for a better future. I'll give you a great example in God's word. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Look at how it ping-pongs between what we can call the negative and the positive. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's an optimistic, positive thing. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Well, that's kind of negative. The outward world is wasting away. Maybe our bodies are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. There's an optimistic declaration. I'm being renewed on the inside. For there's light and momentary affliction. Well, that's a sad reality, but it's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's the positive. And so the Bible in a realistic embrace of what's happening in the world says, yes, there are troubles. Yes, there are afflictions. Uh, Yes, there are are difficulties, but we're not gonna lose heart. We're going to think ahead. We're going to have a glory that awaits us. So the Bible is very realistic, embracing the tragedies that happen, but never ever losing hope. And here's here's a trick to that. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the things around us that might be troubling, but what is unseen. This is our relationship with God. He is with us. He never leaves us. He he loves us. He showed that through Jesus Christ who even gave his life for us, right? Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That there is this eternal hope. Not only are things getting better on the earth as the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, but there's an eternal glory that outweighs everything. And so that will cause us to never be swallowed up completely by the darkness that is around us. So, if you tend towards optimism, uh, you are a great reflection of God's heart, never losing hope. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5 16 through 19 says this Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Don't quench the spirit. The spirit kind of gives us life even in difficult times. What God's word says is in all of it, keep that sort of posture that says, I'm gonna find the good things. I'm gonna praise God. I'm gonna to pray to him. I'm gonna give thanks. These are positive things even in dark times. So Mr. or Mrs. Optimist, um, you're a great reflection of God's heart. But if you tend towards pessimism, a little towards the negativity, you are also a reflection of God's heart because much of God's word is, is lamenting Uh, In fact, there's a lot written and said and spoken of in terms of lament in God's word. I did just a brief scan. This is not detailed, but roughly two-thirds of the Old Testament is lament. Roughly half of Jesus' teaching is lament. Just looking at what's broken in the world and their hearts, the authors and the heart of God is breaking and even crying, right? In fact, Psalm 6.6 says this, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. That's a lot of the Bible. Just detailing and chronicling how broken the world is, how violent the world is, how the powerful oppress the weak, how, how those of influence oppress those who are voiceless. And, and it, it's, a, it, it's a terrible depiction of a terrible reality but then there's hope going forward. So if you're pessimistic, even that for sure is a reflection of God's heart that breaks for what's broken in this world. The reality is there's a lot of pain even now. There's a lot of lamenting that needs to happen right now. We need to have our hearts broken for people who are sick, who have lost loved ones, who are afraid, who are confused, who are overworked, who are stressed, right? Whose heads are kind of in a difficult place because they're managing so much of their household economy and their kids and how their kids are are handling this in a very confusing and and painful way. And, and, And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people suffering in silence right now because all we're doing is talking about this pandemic That means there are terrible injustices happening in this world that are not getting the attention that they deserve. Uh, Even this Aubrey um, terrible murder that went on is just not getting the news and the press that it deserves. There are so many people suffering so intensely with injustice and hopelessness, and it's all buried because we're so focused, understandably, on this coronavirus. And so we've got to have our heart break, and we want our hearts to break for the suffering in the world. And that's not pessimistic, that's that's just this realism, this foundation of the scripture that says, know and feel the brokenness of the world, but never lose hope, never lose hope. Now the pessimist and the optimist each have a place in terms of reflecting God's heart, but here's the reality about this. The pessimist and the optimist need to learn to get along. These two groups, and they, they do kind of wander in groups, the pessimists and the optimists have trouble getting along. Even though there's a part to play with each of these kinds of tendencies, we have trouble connecting because they don't like hanging out with each other. Um, I'll just give you a little social experiment here. When we get back to, to normal and restaurants are open and people can congregate and we can be real close to each other and conversations face-to-face and, and tight groups start happening, Just observe you'll come across a group, say in a restaurant, and they're having a great time. They are laughing. They're talking about the memories of the past. They're enjoying the present. And they're talking about all the things they're gonna do in the future, right? They're, they're really, really thinking about a, a positive optimistic sort of future and reality. They're enjoying themselves. The very next table over might be full of people that aren't laughing very much. Uh, they're criticizing a lot. They're criticizing maybe their politicians. They're criticizing people who aren't quite like them or believe what they believe. Um, They tend to be a little bit grumpy, a little negative, and and they are very much enjoying that, right? That's their good time. They're not laughing, but they are really having a good time and they are bound together, powerfully bound together, right? And so optimists and pessimists kind of run in groups, herds, if you will. Um, Same thing in the office. In the office, you take a break, Groups of optimists usually congregate together. Groups of, of pessimists usually group together. And so uh, that's kind of how society works. But in a family, you can't escape. In a family, you can't escape. You can't go to the, Hey, here's the pessimist room of the house and here's the optimist room of the house. You're together. And it's very difficult for pessimists and optimists to get together and to have kind of that camaraderie. And so here's what a, a scene that plays out very often in homes. An optimist starts and says, "Hey, we ought to go here, and we ought to do that, right? Some plan, some vacation plan, or or let's let's move, or let, some big bold move, j- career change." And, and the optimists in the house are like, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." The pessimist comes along and says, "Well, here's this problem, here's this risk, and how are we going to get there? And how much is it going to cost? And this could happen, and that could happen." And then the optimist gets upset at the pessimist for quenching their dreams and their adventure, right? And then the pessimist gets bummed out at the optimist because they're not valuing the pessimist or hearing the pessimist. And, and I'm telling you, every house deals with this stuff. And some of you are laughing right now in your own living room. Don't point, don't label. You're gonna get in trouble. Enjoy the Sunday, right? But that can happen. In order for relationships to take place between optimists and pessimist, we have to value the other. The optimist has to say, there's a place for the pessimist, the one who's going to bring out the negative. They're, 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 they want protection. They want security. That's a good thing. I value you. And for the pessimist to say, hey, listen, optimist, you are making our lives an adventure and fun, and, and we're doing things I would never do on my own. Just value each other as difficult as it is. Ephesians 4 says, patiently bear with each other in Love, and that's what it means. And then finally, before we bring Elaine on, uh, we could use a little more positivity in our lives. All of us can. I love Proverbs seventeen twenty two. It says this, being cheerful keeps you healthy. It is slow death to be gloomy all the time. Now this was written thousands of years ago, but medical science right now is verifying that positivity, cheerfulness does make for a healthier person mentally healthier, physically healthier. It's an incredible thing that positivity does to the human body, right? We don't wanna be dragged down to a slow death of negativity. So while there's a place for pessimists and negativity and caution, a valuable place to reflect the heart of God, we don't wanna get swallowed up by that. So here's a a few things to to get us to a little bit more of a positive place. And I'll go quick here. Intentionally acknowledge the negative. It's healthy to say, I'm I'm calling out the negative. I'm not gonna let it be this mysterious force. I'm calling it out, I'm labeling it, here it is. Know what you can't control. You can't control that there's a disease globally, but you can control how you, you know, sort of operate in your house in terms of safety. Know what you can and can't control. Try on a positive lens. Um, now I have uh, some glasses here and I get compliments all the time on my Superfly sunglasses. These are the coolest, lookest things ever, right? Now what happens is um, you go outside and it's harsh. There's a lot of things out there that are harsh and we turn away and we don't like and we can kind of blind us. And we put on the sunglasses to filter out the harshness so we can enjoy what's around us. Positivity are like these super fly sunglasses, right? You just put them on and and the the harshness of the world intentionally gets put aside and then you can enjoy what you see. We can actually train ourselves to be more optimistic and to have those optimistic glasses. I'm gonna choose today right now to see the positive. And uh, if you want more information about those glasses, 22 bucks on Amazon, email me. Uh, Hang out more with positive people. Hang out more with positive people. There's some negative and positive people. I'm not saying ditch your negative friends. Just hang out with the positive ones a little bit more. Manage news intake. Really simple. Put a limit on that. Write down what you're thankful for. Write down what you accomplish. That's a good habit. Very healthy habit. And then finally, focus on the unfailing presence of the love of God. God never leaves. God never fails. In fact, there's a fantastic verse in 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. I'm reluctant sometime to sometimes to bring Old Testament principles about Jews at war into our modern church. But there's some principles here that I think are good. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by, by this mighty army that was about to attack. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You don't need to fight. Take your positions. You're in this family, right? You're in this church, you're in this community, you're with these friends, take your position, then stand still and watch what the Lord does. Watch what the Lord does in this pandemic. Be excited about the, what the Lord will do in this pandemic. It's his victory. He is with you, O oh people. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord is with you. We're going to be uh, singing a song here. It's a fun song. It's a powerful song that declares that this victory, this battle is God's. And while God can do anything, God cannot lose and God cannot fail. And after the song is done, we're going to bring up Elaine and close out with a little interview on how to become a little bit more uh, optimistic during this time. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: Thing for you to do
0: You all very, very much. Uh, at this time, we're going to invite Miss Elaine Romero to come on up, and she's going to give us some great practical principles on how to move a little bit from pessimism to optimism, especially during this time of crisis. So put your hand together for 25-year therapist, Christian speaker, uh, pastoral teacher here at Rancho, Miss Elaine Romero, come on up. So much for joining us again. Are you having fun during the series?
2: I am, and I'm very optimistic about this interview we're about to have. Very
0: good. You, I saw you taking notes. I
2: was. I was definitely taking notes. That's great.
0: <laughs> uh, well, this has been a fun series, and and we have received hundreds of comments about how this has radically changed people's thinking during this time of crisis. That's great. And as we talked about, even as this series was being prepared, is, is this message in particular? We can't do pessimist shaming. Because as we've said, right. there's a place for that. So so tell us what the, the pros and cons are of pessimism and optimism and what the, the pitfalls might be of both.
2: Well, and it's funny because it would depend on who you ask, right? <laughs> because the optimists are really going to say that their perspective allows them to be more overall positive about yep. life. But the pessimists would say, if they can identify themselves, <laughs> uh, that it allows them to cope with life better. And actually, they're both correct in that. So I like that you weren't, you know, I like that we're not demonizing right. one or the other. Um, so there is pros and cons to both perspectives. But what is probably a better question is to look at what motivates the optimist or the pessimistic perspective. So research, uh, recent research has found that both optimists and pessimists use their differing differing views of the world to actually motivate themselves, that they kind of need that perspective. And so let me just share with that a little bit. So the optimistic perspective is often motivated by thinking about the future, right? And thinking about how things can only get better. But the pest and so the pros of that of that more optimistic viewpoint is that um, those people can can take more risks. They can be dreamers. Um, we they report being more satisfied in relationships. In fact, cancer patients that really take a more optimistic viewpoint tend to have a better outcome with prognosis and and things like that. The cons is that sometimes that overly optimistic person might rush into things, even though your glasses are very fly. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, Those rose colored glasses, you know, sometimes when we're wearing those too much, the risk is, is that we miss maybe some red flags that were really important and maybe we're less prepared. Now, the pessimistic perspective is motivated more by like safety. Right? to be considering the potential risks, to be careful, thorough, and in control. So the pro of that is some people that take a, a, per, a pessimistic viewpoint might be better prepared for like really difficult situations, but the con is maybe they take that negative thinking and it kind of spirals downward for them. Now interesting, um, there was a study that I read about where they had people do word puzzles and people that reported being more optimistic, they would, when they said, think of positive thoughts about doing this puzzle, they tended to do better than when they had them do the puzzle thinking about the, the potential risks of the puzzle. But the pessimists, the ones who reported being more pessimistic, they would um, do better with the puzzle if they were thinking about the potential risks as opposed to thinking like real positive thoughts about completing the puzzle. So what it kind of shows is it does really depend on the person, like we're all kind of wired differently of what we need to motivate ourselves. So I thought that was so, a so really- So both
0: optimists and pessimists are, are productive and, and valued and, and have a wonderful place in the kingdom of heaven and society, sure. are, but their motivations are, are different and they, they are effective because of their different motivations.
2: Right, and we sometimes also, we have to remember that we can make a mistake that we're thinking of optimism and pessimism in just black and white terms. You know, that one is good or one is bad. It forces people to kind of choose a side or it pigeonholes them into a label. So the truth is, is that most of us are a blend. Hmm of both, it's kind of like this fluid continuum. And we want it to be because that's actually healthy because we might need to have a different perspective based on different situations. So we wanna honor the more pessimistic side that allows us to look at the potential challenges coming up, but we also wanna be making sure in times and in life in certain situations, we gotta go in more optimistic and thinking about kind of the best. So the overall goal is that we want to be balanced between the both and to think about when we're using that perspective. So I always say, if someone asks you, if you're a more glass half empty or a glass half full kind of person, perhaps you want to say it depends on what's in the glass, <laughs> right. right? It's
0: not that easy, it's not that black and white, right? Right, right. That's good. I right. love that. That's very so, cool.
2: And we can choose what perspective yeah. we take.
0: That's good. Well, that is the cool thing about the human brain is we're not a victim to outside thoughts or emotions. We can intentionally change that. Right. Now, you, you mentioned balance and that's very healthy in this context for sure. There are people who can get a little out of out of balance, especially during a crisis, and can get a little bit swallowed up by the darkness. So, what, right. how how could that impact, say, relationships or family in a negative way?
2: Right. Uh, you know, sometimes when we struggle with like being overly negative, you're mm-hmm. right. It can you can risk kind of spiraling downward into more negative thoughts. High levels of negative. Anxious and distorted thoughts can make huge impacts on our relationships and on our mental health because that can eventually lead to anxiety and depression. And negativity kinda can breed negativity so we can be setting a tone in the home. Um, One of my favorite authors, Christian psychologist, wrote Boundaries, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, he identifies that there's different types of unsafe people and those can even be in our families. And one of those unsafe people is the critic okay so the critic can be pretty negative um they often prefer to correct rather than to connect and so as a result they take on this parental role with everyone they know and they tend to be more judgmental and negative and they're speaking truth without love forgiveness and grace right um so that can be very difficult in an interpersonal relationship for sure in a marriage because that's gonna Uh, put a couple into kind of a parent-child relationship, and nobody wants that. But again, we have to ask, you know, where does this evolve from? And if we look at the work of Eric Erickson, who's known for his theories on human development, he would say, this could be shaped by early you said hereditary and genetics that too but it could also really be shaped by early childhood experiences so we have to sometimes have grace on the critic and maybe take some time to understand of where it comes from so those people with a very predictable childhood you know they will end up with a basic sense of trust and they have an ease in connections Whereas people who grow up in an unpredictable childhood, you know, maybe have a lot of chaos in their in their growing up, they're less inclined to trust people and circumstances. So, if a person is brought up in a really critical home where they're told they're never good enough, or their value is only based on their achievements, they at some level may have a certain level of comfort of kind of making sure they're always pointing out the pitfalls of themselves and others to kind of be prepared, right? Yeah. Because it's actually more vulnerable, vulnerable for them to connect. That's foreign to them. Um, and so a lot of critics will feel like they're loving you <laughs> by correcting you, yeah. right? Um, but sadly, this kind of negative, constant negativity especially if the person starts attacking your character, does push people away, disconnection happens, and believe it or not, disconnection is the leading predictor of divorce and marriage, a lot of people think it's conflict, but uh, the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman, leading researchers, they have found disconnection is actually one of the the biggest predictors. And
0: negativity and constant criticism, and we Mm -hmm. we can call it nitpicking, Mm -hmm. Um, that can really lead to emotional disconnect. And, sure. and can grate on each other and, and, and yet it 's fixable the The negative person is not a slave to negativity. Right. Uh, we do have the ability to to change so give us a couple of tips on. On how we can move more towards that positive, affirming, optimistic kind of a kind of way of thinking.
2: Yeah, absolutely. People can change, but remember, the person has to want to change. So not every person is going to identify this in themselves, nor do they want to change. So if you're living with someone who's overly negative, remember you can change how you respond to them, and you might need to set some boundaries, or you might need to gently and lovingly tell a person that they're being really harsh or negative with you. But if you are are a person who is hearing this and thinks, ooh, this could be me. I do suffer from a lot of negativity or being kind of harsh on people. Uh, There is a lot of help with that. We use, in our practice, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy to help people. And essentially what we do with that is we help you identify where do these negative thoughts, where did they develop from, and then we help you learn to balance those, not with necessarily optimistic thoughts or, or just positive thoughts, but more balanced thoughts so that we can really look at those honor the side of us, the pessimistic side that maybe needs to look at the potential challenges, Mm -hmm. but learn to balance those with more optimistic, realistic thoughts that we've kind of talked about before. So so really, balance is the key. Any people who've ever worked with me know that I'm always talking. (laughs) You're a big
0: fan of balance. Right. I'm a big
2: fan. We go from Debbie Downer to like balance Betty, you know, with me. That's (laughs) That's my goal. (laughs) I love that. Um, And so uh, we use at Safe Harbor, again, as I said, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy. And and what I love about these modalities is that they capture what God said first, right? Because God says even in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if it's anything excellent and praiseworthy, think on these things. So God again said it first. He's letting us know. He knows. God knows you're gonna struggle with negative and maybe even critical thoughts at times. But he's telling us right here in this scripture to keep it balanced, to remember to keep our thoughts on the pure and the lovely and the good. And so it's honestly just a choice a lot of times.
0: Well, God's given us the ability to make that choice and and literally change the wiring of our brains. So Elaine, thank you so much for joining us. It is a great time. We've got two more weeks in this series. Yay! And so much good is being done for so many people. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, thank you so much. All right, and for the rest of Rancho, uh, here locally and online, all over the place, thank you for joining us as well. We're going to be right back here next week with more discussion about the biblical framework to change much between our ears uh, to live a more peaceful, helpful, hopeful life. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you then.